Hello, welcome back to the Mind Talk podcast with myself, Edwin. And today I have an athlete who represented Great Britain. She's done some wonderful things in her events, and her name is Shara Proctor. Shara, how are you doing? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for accepting this invitation. So, like I like to do with all of our guests that come on, talk to us about your early sporting experience. So, what was the first sport that you did growing up? So the first sport I actually participated in was tennis. And um, so I have an aunt. She is a tennis fiend and she enjoys tennis. Um, because of her, I grew up watching this, the, the Williams sisters. Yeah. And But she got me involved because she used to teach tennis on the island to young kids. Okay. And so started to you know bring me in and and get me involved and it took off from there i I started playing in itf tournaments around the country sorry around the caribbean in regional tournaments and i was actually good um was number one on the island um some would say different but i said number one (laughs) 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 but um yeah i still play to this day um i enjoy tennis it's it's one of those sports that keeps you fit and active and um Mm keeps me mentally focused um it's every when i when i was competing in track and field um i would play tennis in my off season all the time because i still have friends who play and who actually coach so it's yeah. one of those sports that i will never ever stop playing that's good yeah so i love tennis myself i only started playing tennis i think in my late 20s early 30s and you just i wish i played when i was younger but it's a it's a great sport so yeah. you, you love you loved it so much how come you never decided to pursue it any further um so i also played football um i was a right wing but i enjoyed football mainly because of the social aspect of it um i just enjoyed being around um people who were like-minded and you know just enjoy conversation fun you know just young i was in high yeah. school at a time and um my mother basically sat me down because i, st- I did start doing track at that time also in, mm-hmm. in school and my mother sat me down she was like listen you have opportunities <laughs> in track and field i was receiving you know, full rides, full scholarships to um, colleges, universities, top universities yeah. in the US. Wow. And she saw that as a light bulb moment, like, mm-hmm. I need to ship her out and get this <laughs> education. <laughs> she, she sat me down. She was like, listen, you have these opportunities here available for you. Do you want to waste your life away and possibly not be recognized in football or tennis? Or do you want to um get a free education at one of the at a top um institution in the u.s along with pursuing a track and field career i wasn't thinking that far ahead so no hindsight thank god for her because Mm -hmm. else who knows where it would be no Mm -hmm. um but you know what against my will i took her and i went to college no sorry i chose track Okay. And I'm stuck with that. So okay. I, I 
I continued to play tennis just for fun, but football okay. was no more. Okay. So when, when you decided to stick to track, how, how supportive was she al- along the way? Was she, was she more supportive from the background or was she at every, every event that you're competing Ooh, Okay. So she was Coach Wilma. Her name is Wilma oh. Proctor. She was okay. Coach Wilma, right? She became a coach. She became um, IWF. It was IWF back then. She became mm-hmm. certified as a coach. I, I think she did all the levels. She was very passionate about being a coach. Yeah. And I think she also wanted to protect me because I was young. I was a girl. And we know there are a lot of creeps in track and field. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she wanted to be around to protect her daughter and make sure someone was looking out for the best interests of her daughter. And she was mm-hmm. the best person to do that. So she took on that role a little too seriously, mm-hmm. might I add sometimes. <laughs> but I thank God for it because, again, I yeah. don't know where if she did not take up that role and so yeah she she coached me in high school up until um i left to go to college okay and did that have any impact on your relationship with her when you were growing up because i know it's difficult to split coach coach and mother when they're the same person how how did you adapt to that it was hard it was difficult because she became so passionate about track. That's all she wanted to talk about. Mm. When I leave the track, I just want to be a child. I just wanted to just be childish, enjoy life, watch TV. You know, I don't want to be icing. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be talking about what I could improve on. Um, let me do my schoolwork. <laughs> I don't want to talk yeah. about this even on a track, but she was very adamant about just making sure I improve every step of the way. So she did what she could in her mind at the time. She did what she thought okay. she was, was doing right. And sometimes like I told her, I means false transparency. I told her sometimes she neglected the mother part. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and took, when she took up the coaching part. So like we had a conversation about that. So she knows, yeah. but yeah, that part was neglected sometimes. Okay. Yeah. And and during those periods, did you have like friends who, you, who you could like talk to about stuff that had nothing to do with, with track and field, um, so that you can have like kind of that that balance in your life. Yes, I did. Um, I had my cousin Keith Rye. He was completely. He played tennis also, but he was just okay. completely out of like serious sport. So he was. Yeah like my getaway um yeah we he's like my he's like my best friend we grew up together same age and everything everybody knows mm-hmm. Keith right but yeah he was that one person who kind of like took me away from track and field and just helped me to just live outside of sport and enjoy yeah. whatever life had 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 come for me okay and in terms of training conditions how was the training conditions for you growing up so just to paint a picture Mm. so imagine a grass field yeah yeah close your eyes imagine a grass a grass field patchy grass sometimes short sometimes long when when you run into it you feel like the grass thing in your skin no close your eyes i need you to continue (laughs) (laughs) yes i i I know i know exactly the feeling because 
I have I have run on grass before. Um and I don't know how you managed to to um actually compete or train on it. Like how? Because obviously when you're running, there's all bumpy and it's not even how, how was it for you? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I'm not finished. There was a cricket mm. pitch in the middle of the field, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then <laughs> this is the kickoff, right? So the runway, mm. it was actually like zigzag a little bit. It was like, it, it, there was no mando, no such thing as mando. It was like <laughs> a dirt path and they laid some rubber on it. And to their credit, they tried. There was rubber on it. <laughs> they tried, right? Wow. They rolled like a strip okay. of rubber on the runway. And then um, I think, yeah, there was a board. Sometimes it was um, dry rot, so it had like, little cracks in it and stuff. And then there was wow. a sand pit. The sand pit was, it was a sand pit. Um, yeah. Sometimes it would be grass growing on the sand pit, but it was a sand pit. That's all. Listen, that is all I knew at the time until I went out of the island and saw what mm. a facility should look like. <laughs> but again, that's all I knew. So I didn't take it for granted. Yeah. That's, I mean, we were able to run. We were able to jump. We were able to throw. We, we were able to do what we needed to do. We didn't have like hurdles. Um, we had, maybe had a couple start blocks, but yeah. we were able to do the basics. <laughs> but you know what? It kind of shows that a lot of people there um, were doing it because they loved it. Because if you're not if you're not competing on the best surfaces and you're still wanting to do it it kind of says a lot about one's mindset to to, to carry on yeah. when it's like that. Because there's a lot of people that here, if they saw those conditions, they'll be like, nah, not for me. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> yeah. So, no, it, it, it says a lot. So, so, when you, so when you started to go um, abroad and see other surfaces, what, did that change your mindset at all in terms of how, you, how it was when it comes to training? No, it it didn't. Mm. But what it did mm -hmm. was made me want to do better, so I can compete okay. on those surfaces. So, and 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 um, for for me, it was more about <laughs> seeing my friends and traveling. That's what it was mm. about. So, yeah. and that was motivation for me to continue practicing and showing yeah. up and be consist being consistent in training. Yeah. So I could qualify for these meets. That was my motivation. Okay. Just being honest. Okay. Um, and then when it when it came to selecting what event you did, did you know that you wanted to do long jump or was there other events that you were doing when you were younger? Um, no. I started out doing um everything. Um so I started yeah. out in, in primary school. So at that age you do cricket ball throw, you do traveling, yeah. you do sprinting, you do hurdles, you do yeah. long jump, high jump. Um, I actually started as yeah. a sprinter and then went to high jump. Okay. And then I discovered long jump. Um, I just okay. couldn't grasp the concept of running fast and jumping high. But then again, <laughs> that probably wasn't the right technique in a way. So yeah. <laughs> that I picked up a long jump and then it clicked. Um, I was fast enough. 
and I had okay. spring, like natural spring. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I figured out my jumping leg, it was it was over from there. Okay, so you you got to the point of your life where it was time to to go to to university. Um, did that at that point? Did you know that you wanted to be a professional? athlete or was it more about getting your education at the time it was more about getting education um because at that point still i didn't even think there was a world where i can be a professional athlete that's not what i was thinking Mm. obviously i saw the olympic games and i saw athletes out there representing their countries and winning medals and stuff but it still didn't click to me that there was a professional side to it um, I knew I wanted to go to the Olympics, but <laughs> yeah, I wanted to go. <laughs> okay. yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> I wanted to be acrobat. <laughs> I don't. You wanted to be acrobat. Yes. I... Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw That's the gymnastics and I thought it was okay. <laughs> it was yeah, acrobatics. Uh, oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? As kids, we see things. That's that's just how it is in life. We see things. <laughs> so, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got to college. And in 2009, that's when I realized, okay, I could do this. I can um, I actually saw okay. my potential. And okay. I realized, okay, I can actually become a professional. Um, and that's when I decided I will become a prof- professional athlete. Okay. So So when you got to that point, Obviously, we, we know, Anguilla, there's, I don't know if you knew at that time, did you know that if I want to go to the Olympics, I can't, I can't compete for Anguilla, like, it's not possible. Did you know that? I didn't time? know, but my mother, she had a plan. Mm. She, okay. she had a plan. She was talking to some people yeah. and she knew, um, oh, it sucks. I forgot his name. Sorry. Sorry. I apologize. She knew Keith Connor. He's also Anguillian. He was the mm-hmm. first Anguillian Olympian. And so she okay. was in contact with him. And and that um, that started to develop into something that was actually possible. Um, because he did represent okay. Great Britain. And so they started looking into it. Um, and okay. that's how that happened. Okay. So when when the switch actually happened, um, how how welcoming were people? I felt ve- like a warm welcome. Um, hmm. Yeah, for the most part, <laughs> I just the the, the hmm. staff, the fac- faculty, some of the athletes. Yeah, I mean there were some athletes who had a negative reaction because for some reason they thought I was taking mm-hmm. some taking a spot from them or taking funding from them but mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that you have you actually have to earn mm-hmm. your spot <laughs> so and yeah. then just like the positives were i had I, I gained a whole lot of fans a whole lot of supporters yeah. um that was definitely a positive um i didn't know that well again i didn't know that type of stuff existed and um the mm-hmm. negatives were uh, the media um, and, and just the ignorant mm. neg- narratives that came with it. Mm. Um, I'm sure you've seen them. A lot of people see them, but I don't even have yeah. to reiterate it. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, no, I, I, I get you there because there's there's many times when I've when I've watched on um, TV and I see the difference in even the tone or how they describe an athlete um, who's British but is not born in Britain. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a there's a clear difference yeah. in terms of even how much they talk about yeah. them um, when it comes to analyzing their performance exactly. and stuff like that. So I see, it and I can only imagine how it feels like as an athlete because you obviously see it yourself. You feel it yourself. You're there. It's you. Um, um, did 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 you ever feel that it was a point where it kind of turned a little bit and there were more um, welcoming in in that aspect, the media? I think when I actually started to do well, when I actually started to become consistent mm. at a high level, like I'm, yeah, I didn't just go to just make teams. I was not satisfied with that. Yeah. I wanted medals and I wanted to be on the podium. I wanted to be great. That's what I wanted to do. I'm yeah. not joining a team to just go to the Olympics. Like what's the point of that? And so, I mean, it, I guess they saw my mindset. They saw that I was actually walking and actually competing well. So I yeah. guess, I guess they didn't have a choice. <laughs> mm. And I just mind, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> I wasn't. I'm not arrogant. I just go about being yeah. stay out the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I know what you mean because there's there's I won't mention no names, but I know there's. There's other athletes who are representing um, Great Britain, and I I see the difference of how they even talk about them now. So mm -hmm. it's um, but it's it's not it's not it wasn't in your control, was it? So and that, and that yeah, and that kind of leads me to another subject in terms of Anguilla. How what what do they how how would they go about? Because it's probably about time that people are able to represent Anguilla at the Olympics. What what needs to happen for this? To, to occur. At this point, Anguilla needs to become a independent territory in order for that to happen. Because mm -hmm. there was a point in time where a bunch of um, small British territories were given the opportunity to form a, an Olympic committee, and I think they needed like four mm -hmm. sports under that committee to join us, so, something like that. And whoever was in charge at the time dropped the ball and didn't take that opportunity. Other islands did, like the British Virgin Islands, and mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I don't want I don't want to say the wrong islands, but I know British Virgin Islands was one of those territories. Yeah. They took that opportunity, so now they they, yeah. they can represent themselves at the um, Olympics. But Anguilla is one of those islands. Those islands are territories that just they drop the ball and now the athletes have to suffer. So, I don't know if you're, you're an athlete, but how can that be fixed at this point, considering they dropped the ball first time around? What what do they have to do different to make sure this actually happens? Because people, people at this at this day and age, like, this you should not be happening. You're so frustrated in me. <laughs> Because it just it doesn't, doesn't make any sense anymore. It just it doesn't, doesn't make any um, sense. Again, we would have to become an independent territory in order for that to happen. Mm. And the chances of that happening right now are very slim. 
I don't think the island can sustain yeah. without the support of Great Britain. So because of that, I don't think mm. it's going to happen anytime soon. Hell would have to freeze over. Mm. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. So I'm, my next question is going to, we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, training. So obviously there's so much sacrifices one has to do to, to get to elite level. How was training for you? When you went pro, how was it for you? Um, some of the things you have to sacrifice in terms of your personal life, um, what you eat, all of that stuff. How how was it for you when you had to? It wasn't choices? much difference when I first became professional. It wasn't much different to college life. Um, okay. Everything. Uh, I was immature. I'll just say that I was immature when I first joined. So hmm. for me, um, I was getting. I had a contract, so I was just like, okay. I mean, what else do I need to do? So I that first year, I didn't take it serious. Mm-hmm. I just blew it. I was partying a whole lot. I was not eating the right things. I was not eating at the right times. My sleep schedule was a mess. Uh, I was still training, mm-hmm. but I mean, if you don't feed the body properly, you yeah. won't get the maximum out of the body. So yeah, yeah that was that. And then... That was the year of Daegu mm. in 2011, and after I did, after I didn't make the finals, yeah. I was like, "Nah, Shar, you gotta do, mm. <laughs> you gotta do better." And that was my first year competing yeah. in Great Britain too, so I was like, "Okay, you gotta fix it." So, yeah, I started to tighten up, and I started mm. to um, um, started to train harder, started to eat a little better, not yeah. great, but more yeah. like mindset i started to have like a win uh, a winner's mindset so that yeah i just put in the work i just put in a okay. lot of the work and then i was alone like people like daniel carruthers and christian taylor and like and mm-hmm. dwight phillips i was i was training with people like that so they mm-hmm. are monsters beasts like yeah. psychos okay mm-hmm. so if you train with somebody like that well people like that and you don't take habits that they have and use them for yourself you don't want to grow so i i, I just listen to them yeah. and talk to them and just watch them and follow them and that's pretty much how i became um, more consistent really did you see that in your performances yeah, straight away or did it did. take time for, in 2012 for i was on a roll um the only thing i think that was a hindrance for me was chasing a distance um i was chasing a seven meter Mm. distance for a very long time and i think because of that i did not achieve it i achieved great things but not seven meters Mm. so yeah yeah Yeah, i I think you can see that can become a problem for a lot of athletes because once they do achieve it then they just jump way bigger and you're thinking so obviously that barrier was there so what were you in like let's say at competitions and your main focus are, i have to jump over seven meters i have to jump over seven meters and then when you don't it's just like oh would you say it took a lot of the space in yeah, your brain that didn't need, to, it didn't need to be there basically you know like just trying to force it and anytime mm. i relax and just let things happen i jumped well it just wasn't seven meters at the time but it did jump well i was placing yeah. in top three at meets yeah. everywhere so I definitely had it. I just 
yeah. didn't need to try so hard because yeah i i, I practiced it it wasn't yeah. it was muscle memory i just needed to you know train my brain to just mm-hmm. just let it go and just go there do what you know you can do yeah so injuries how, how was it like for you with injuries and when you had injuries how much of an impact did it have on your mindset um it definitely it definitely hurt a lot because when you have an injury first of all you can't train you, you miss training blocks and stuff like that which are important and so now you're thinking oh my god it's a setback so now you're thinking that you're not good enough and that messes with your your confidence and your um self-esteem and stuff because you can't compete well so and then you're thinking oh will i get a, a, a would I get cut from a contract? All that sort of stuff you start thinking. So you start to stress yourself out for mm. no reason instead of just like putting that energy towards getting better. And um, what I haven't had mm. that many injuries over my career, thank God, but I would have like little niggles yeah. here and there, which are easily fixable. Um, but I had like two major, yeah. major-ish um, injuries and... Um, one was when I ruptured my rectum tendon um, at the Commonwealth Games in 2014 mm. in the final. And that was a huge blow, <laughs> a huge blow. And um, mm-hmm. I had surgery and everything to repair it. So I had to learn to walk again, which was crazy. Yeah. That whole time was just depressing because oh, wow. I didn't really have anyone. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Besides my family, but I was in England by myself. I didn't have any family. Um, I had like yeah. a friend or two come and check on me. Um, but for the most part, I went through this by myself. And I decided that, I mean, doctors was, I mean, doctors said I, I wasn't going to be able to perform at, at my best anymore. I wouldn't be at that level anymore. And mm-hmm. I was just like, no way, no way. <laughs> So, I mean, I spoke to someone mm. outside of British Athletics and they told me this is an easy fix. So yeah. I was just like, okay, that gave me motivation and I walk mm. my butt off. And I wanted to prove to myself, like, mm-hmm. don't ever let anybody, anybody else's doubts make you doubt. And so I used mm-hmm. that and I came back even stronger. That's one thing about having an injury. If you do the right things, you will come back stronger than you were before, mentally and physically. And so when I came back from that, I was unstoppable. Like you couldn't tell me I could not not achieve what I did achieve. That's when I won my medal in Mm -hmm. in Beijing. Like I was the strongest, I was the fastest I ever been. Like mentally, everything was on point like it needed to be. And I wasn't thinking about jumping seven meters and I did. (laughs) So like, yeah, and like just there goes go. to show you how strong mentally you are and you can be. And like, like sport is like 10% physical and 90% mental. Like, you could be fit, but if your mind is weak, yeah, it's gonna make you lose everything. Mm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That kind of leads me to there's kind of two questions that come off the back of that. So one of them, at that time, did you speak to a sports psychologist? And the second question, um, when you when it was um, to do with injuries, was it a GB 
doctor that said you couldn't come back and perform. I've heard this story, this type of story before, which is <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into it today, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, go on. So um, yeah, explain. <laughs> so yes, it was a GB doctor that told me he doesn't think I would be back at my mm. um my best. And that's when I decided to seek outside help because mm. I'm not I've always learned, even with medical doctors, not even sport doctors, you should always mm. get second opinion, second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, whatever. And yeah. because I went yeah. outside of the system to to that doctor, I mean, I yeah. I had the hope that I needed. All I needed was that little bit of hope, yeah. and I got. It. Um, yeah. But in terms of sports psychologists, um, at that point, no, I was not seeing anybody. It was just all in my head. Mm. I was dealing with it on my own. However, I could. So, so what type of things do you think helped you to get through it that time? Because yeah. you said most of it you spent alone. Um, so I had a friend in, in, in England. He would always come and, like, cook for me and help me out. And, like, I, I yeah. always had things to do. Also, like, I was on crutches and I had to move houses and stuff like that. So, like, that kept mm. me, um, kept me, I guess, grounded, I guess. Um, my mind was not on my injury, even though I had crutches, mm -hmm. it still wasn't on my injury. Um, like, yeah. and so moving, setting up house and we would always go on trips, like, um, road trips and stuff like that. So like stuff mm -hmm. like that helped. Um, I also went to Miami for a quick, <laughs> a quick trip and like stuff like that helped. And yeah. honestly, looking back at it, it was a dark moment in my life. But the fact that I was able to still go to the track mm. and work towards getting better, that helped a lot because I would see progress. I would see improvements yeah. here and there. So that gave me a little like um a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. That helps a lot too. But I mean I honestly don't know one thing that helped. <laughs> also watching because at the time, um, mm. Europeans and okay. Continental Cup was happening yeah. at the time. So I was able to watch that and see yeah. some friends and, and teammates compete. So that helped a lot also. So let's talk about a little bit about, well, you kind of just mentioned it before, when you were able to, to perform at your best in a major championship. How, how, how did you feel afterwards um when you were able to to win a medal how how what was the thought process that was going um, through your mind so when i first won a medal it was i don't know which which one you're talking about okay so yeah the when world. i first won that medal it was like a huge relief because i had been working so hard to just get myself mm -hmm. back to that point and the fact that all mm. the doubt and like the heartache and just the tough days just all came to that one moment of triumph. It was just like, okay, all of this is worth it. Everything I've done yeah. so far is worth it. Um, I wasn't even thinking of the negative stuff. I was, I was just happy, honestly. Like um, I remember I was in the gold yeah. medal position at one point and I lost. <laughs> I was just like, okay, and <laughs> mm. <laughs> because that's how like happy I was. 
and I was able to jump seven meters more than once. And it was just like, (sighs) I can breathe now. Yeah, it it was, it was just a Mm. joyful moment (laughs) in my life. So what what are you up to now? I'm just relaxing, just enjoying peace, no stress. Um, enjoying watching track from yeah. a spe- spectator's perspective. Um, obviously following my friends and my team, yeah. well, old team ex teammates, and you know, just just a- appreciating yeah. the support from far. Um, uh, yeah. enjoying a change of pace in life. Um, now I just get to sit back and just relax. Just like mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about book. Uh speaking to an agent uh having a flight booked uh you know in the boots <laughs> the, the, uh, yeah. <laughs> i'll have to worry about yeah. eating <laughs> at this time uh you know reporting to some i don't know doing my my yeah. atoms i don't have to do that was the most annoying thing i don't have to I don't have to wonder, oh, I wonder yeah. if um, water coming this morning. Should I pee or should I not pee? Like, all of that sort of stuff. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And it's yeah, so, like, yeah. it's so peaceful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I got, I've got two more questions. So the first one of that is in in terms of, because I know, I know how it works when it comes to sponsorship and um competing were there ever times when you were not maybe in like let's say injury um was was yeah you were injured and you had to compete because if you didn't compete you would it would affect your sponsorship because i know with some people if they don't run a certain amount of races for example then that'll have an impact on what Um, they earn when covid hit that was the worst 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 year of my entire life Mm -hmm. Um, that's when everything like yeah. it was just a, a domino effect of bad things happening. Um, at the time, it was sponsored by Adidas, and you yeah. know, COVID hit, so you didn't know one. Mm-hmm. You didn't know if you would be able to travel um, overseas to compete. We, we, our group had well, by yeah. the old group I was in. Um, we were from track to track. We didn't have a consistent track. Um, we couldn't train on the track that we were training on at the University of mm-hmm. North Florida because of COVID. Um, so we had to find a different track. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that track did not have a good enough runway for me to train on. So I was like, okay, let me just go back home to Tallahassee and train. And then I came back to Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. The, the, the university track was closed. Um, so I couldn't train on that. So I had to find a high school track to train on. Mm. It barely had a pit, So that was worthless. Yeah. And so I was just yeah. sprinting. Yeah. I did not, I was not able to do long jump yeah. training at all. And then I was just like, maybe I just shut my season down. But I was like, oh, yeah. wow, maybe what if I have to go overseas? Mm. Because in my country, I had to compete in a certain amount of meets yeah. in order to be paid. Um, to fulfill that contractual mm-hmm. agreement yeah. obligation and so um my agent yeah. was like you have to compete in at least whatever meets and so i was like i have not yeah. even long jump so and that was the year my contract was supposed to end so i was just like either way i'm gonna lose because if i go overseas okay. i cannot jump well so yeah so i had two two options yeah. To not compete or to compete horribly. Either way, I felt like <laughs> I would lose my contract. So 
Mm. Um, so I just took the gamble, went overseas. Yeah. And as I predicted, I jumped like crap. I had no check. And so now I have people looking at me like, yeah. what are you doing? Like, yeah. do you not understand? I had no track to train on. I could do runaway walk, but what is that going to do if yeah. I don't have a board? I don't have a sandboard. That, th- there's nothing yeah. I could do. So, And they don't care. It's a business at the end of the day. So they're just looking at who they can drop to bring in the yeah. next set. So that happened. And... I mean, I was paid, but and they let me go at the end of the season. Luckily, I was able to sign with yeah. Puma, but that, I mean, yeah. I was just put in a situation mm-hmm. where I just could not win. And there's nothing I could do about it, but hey. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy, the pressures that come, especially in track and field, because it's not a sport that you earn a lot of money. So it's like, it's not like with footballers, you could probably sit out or fake an injury or stuff like that whatever. but with track and field you can't because if you don't you don't get paid so it's, it's it's mad it's mad so so my last question so in terms of your mindset name three things that you think is valuable for any up-and-coming athlete Oof, to have mindset um you have to have short-term memory because if you're a clean athlete, you're going to have bad days. And because you're an athlete, you have to keep competing. And you have to just take the loss and keep moving. Like, take the loss, learn from it, see how you can improve from it, and just keep it moving. You're going to have better days. You're going to have days where, okay, no, you did well. That loss did not matter. does not matter anymore. Um, so short term, having short term memory is important. Um, another thing I would say is never let any negativity or doubt hinder you or your mindset or how you think about yourself, um, how you think, how well you think you can compete. Because at the end of the day, it's all up here. If your mind controls everything. So if you think you can't do it, you won't do it. You won't be able to do it. You won't be able to achieve that goal. You won't be able to get into that meet. You won't be able to achieve that standard. Like you have to be consistent with your self-belief. And a third one I would say is make sure you're always in control of your career in terms of your supplements, your your medications, drugs, everything, always check, like no matter how much time you have, make them wait, like always check water, send a message, um, uh, make a call, whatever, always check because at the end of the day, they're not looking at your coach, they're not looking at your doctor, they're not looking at, I don't know, your agent. They're looking at you. You are the one who commit that offense. So make sure always back check your supplements, your medication, everything. Shara, it's been a pleasure. This has been a fantastic podcast episode. Thank you for coming on.
for anyone who's listening for the first time, welcome. For anyone that's listened before, welcome back. There'll be more episodes coming soon. Until next time, peace.